Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Friday morning, the 30th of June. Good morning. With much debate and discussion from now till 11am, this is Michael Reed on LMFM. This Friday day, to do da day. RTE, a robbery. Oh, to do da day. When I look at the mission statement of RTE, and it says to enrich, maybe a poor choice of words given the discussion today, the life, the Irish life with content challenges, education and entertains. Uh, I suggest that we also look at that mission statement as well uh, in the next little while. You are charged with ensuring that the taxpayer receives value for money for every euro spent by such bodies. Given your mission of guardianship of the public purse, the failures that have come to light on RTE's part must be truly shocking to you, as they are to me. That was a particular breach of trust with you. This was a particular breach of trust with you, the elected members of the Public Accounts Committee, with a central role in Irish public life, and this is something for which we sincerely apologise. We are completely committed to rebuilding trust with you and with other public representatives. This is the least we can do. We also welcome the role that the PAC has now been afforded to examine expenditure by RTE and we will work closely with the committee in this regard. As a trained accountant and a former financial controller, I am appalled as to how payments were recorded and presented in the RTE accounts. What was the motivation here? It appears to me that this was an act designed to deceive. To deceive. Uh, that's uh, the chair of uh, the RT board, Shun Ni Rahali, speaking at uh, the Public Accounts uh, Committee yesterday. It was a, a good start, but uh, of course it went downhill from there. Let's speak uh, to Imelda Munster, who is a member of uh, the Public Accounts Committee and also a member of uh, the media committee that got to grill the RT executives uh, the day previously. And indeed, uh, I think most would recognise one of uh, the members 
members of both committees who asked some of uh, the most pertinent questions. A very good morning to you, Imelda Munster, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme today. I suppose the dust ha- has settled on the drama that uh, br- we saw yesterday. Uh, uh, what are your thoughts uh, this morning uh, on all of this? Look, I suppose <clears throat> with the two days of committee hearings and I suppose what we know now is that individuals at the very top, and I mean the very top of the organisation, were able to act as how they saw fit, um, a culture of that was absolutely devoid of any oversight, governance, accountability, that they were able to do what they wanted, when they wanted. Um, some of what came out, and I mean it was painstaking trying to get truthful responses and the evasion and the drip feed um, but what what we've got so far and we need further information is, is really shocking, the, the lack of governance um, that was there. We had the chief um, financial officer in both days at the committees and at the media committee, he had said, he was asked if he was aware of the problem with the invoices. Now, when I talk about invoice, that's 150,000 top-up payment to Ryan Tuberty. Was he aware of that prior to the 17th of March? And he said, no. He said, no. And then about an hour later, we managed to elicit from him the truth that he was aware of it in early March and that the auditors had spoken to him looking for an explanation what's these two invoices about. So he then spoke to D Forbes, the Director General. And according to him, he said that the the Director General uh, told him that the payments related to services provided by Ryan Tuberty's agent to help RTE with how they would reconstruct during the pandemic and for performance-related issues. Now, I actually couldn't believe that was coming out of his mouth. I literally couldn't. Mm. He didn't question that. He got back onto the auditors and told them what D Forbes had, had told them. They obviously weren't happy because, you know, at this stage we know that that reason given wasn't true. It was the top-up for the top-ups. Um, but he didn't even question that. He just let it go ahead. It was a consultancy fee. It, yeah, it was put yeah. and that was, that was another thing. The give, give, given to a, an agent to consult, uh, mm. to, to, consult uh, to give advice to RTE um, yeah. a, a, on how to deal with agents. With agents, that's what he said first. And that when I said agents, oh, no, no, um, no, it was around uh, restructuring. Then he, he changed his mind. He just didn't. For the chief financial officer, if you're in a private company, mm. you'd just be you'd frightened. But he, the he said he didn't know, really. I mean, when it came down to the crunch, he said he didn't know. He went to D Forbes uh, and she said, look, it's for consultancy. And uh, he went back to Deloitte and they weren't happy. He said he couldn't explain it because he could only pass on the message that was given to him but he, he didn't delve deeper he didn't, he didn't ask question. what do you mean he by that he didn't question he's chief financial officer and he didn't question and the other thing about the consultancy fees then um, the commercial director at the media committee, committee I had asked her why would they put through the, the account as consultancy fees and who asked her to come up with the name consultancy fees and she said she couldn't remember the precise detail of the wording of the invoices. And then I asked her again yesterday, did you go and check? Hmm. Uh, Because she was aware, because she was involved in the whole 
tripart agreement. She was responsible for it. She was, she was working everything through the barter account. And uh, she said she can't remember whether it was the Director General or Ryan Tuberty's agent that told her. But there were no correspondence. There was no emails, no letters, no paper trails. There is a note, is there Nothing. not? Does a solicitor not have a note on it? This, yeah, but the legal advice, we were told that we can't get it, but PAC is seeking our own legal advice so, now. So, so, that, so yeah. there, is, there is a note, minutes if you like, taken by a solicitor. Solicitor, yeah, but not within the, you know, RTE. Yeah. I mean, the, the but it's the only note that we know of, uh, yeah. and RTE isn't giving it to you. They say they've yeah. been advised not to give it to you, that uh, it's privileged. Yeah, that's what they said. In, other, in other words, when they say it's privileged, that means if it was a court case, the court couldn't ask yeah. for that note. Yes, yeah, yeah. Right. But we're so, 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 but this it. is yeah. being treated as if it's a court case, yeah, uh, rather right. than rather than explaining it to the public yeah. who paid the hundred and sixty euro fee and all of that. The arrogance was staggering. Mm. The dodging of questions that. That I don't know. I can't remember. It was it was unbelievable for a public broadcaster. You know the the top management of RTE, the public broadcaster, that are answerable to the public. It was just I. I mean, unless you were there to see it, I mean, it was just unbelievable. Right. Um, there's the barter account, or what has now become known as uh, the slush fund. Uh, you were talking mm. about the chief financial officer, Richard Collins, there, the CFO. Uh, let's hear a little bit uh, from Richard Collins about how some of that money was spent. There was 111,000 for uh, travel and hotels to bring clients to the Rugby World Cup. Can you identify who them clients were? No, I can't. Why not? Well, I'm not, not on this uh, report. You, here. Mrs. O'Leary? I can, but um, I would have to get their permission. But of course, I know who they were. Taxpayers' money? Yes. And I will uh, get their permission. Can you give us one more example uh, on, was the, on next, the top range? Yeah, there was 10 year IRFU tickets bought for, um, well, they cost through the barter company 138,000. 138,000 euros of taxpayers' money through a barter account. Can you give us one more example? Um, well, the Champions League final in 2019, 26,000. Can I... Can mm, a slush fund, as somebody said there. Uh, no shortage uh, of money uh, for hospitality, it would seem, Imelda Munster. Oh, for goodness sake. Should there was another... Um Jolly or whatever you want to call it, um, that I asked about too. Well, there was two I asked about, and we're waiting for the cost of those, and the many were were on those um, trips. But there was one was a U2 concert um, where they were dined first in a restaurant in Drumcondra, but there was a coach hired to take them from Drumcondra to Croke Park. Now, normally when you're in Drumcondra, you're at Croke Park, um, it was just the sheer extravagance of it, the Celtic Tiger type splurging of taxpayers' money, you know. And at the same time, they're RTE are crying poverty. They're looking for an increase in the license fee. But there was plenty of perks and top-up payments for those at the very top and cuts to everyone else mm. in the organisation. 
But if um, RTE has to entertain people and uh, go themselves with their partners or husbands or wives uh, on big trips to Tokyo or mm. um, wherever it is, um, and it costs thousands and thousands of euro, um, maybe uh, the funding to RTE should be increased so that they can afford it. Uh, should we increase the licence fee so that they have more money to do this sort of thing? Cause, uh, I, I mean, they've done so much damage. I don't think they'll even be able to mention those two words, licence fee, after the public seen what's come out in the last couple of days. I mean, it's just been shocking beyond beyond words. And in relation to that, you know, slush fund um it was just the pure extravagance of it, not a thought for taxpayers' money, you know, and bringing the partners along, you know, um, it was just, they were just allowed to do what they wanted. There was mm. no accountability, there was no oversight, there was no one looking um, at what was going on, what money was being spent. The chief financial officer just wasn't at the races, you know, from what I could see, he just, he wasn't across anything, he wasn't asking questions, he wasn't delving, he just went along with it. Um, but the, the other thing was those um, three three payments, the first one was, um, this is this is that tripartite agreement, right? Mm. The tripartite agreement was year one, that um, this is what RTE negotiated for Ryan Tuberty, right? that Reynolds was to pay Brian Tuberty in year one. Then RTE issued a credit note to Reynolds for that 75000 So the RTE was saying it was cost neutral. It was cost neutral to Reynolds, but it wasn't cost neutral to the taxpayer. The taxpayer, not just did the taxpayer pay the 150000 of top-ups to Ryan Tuberty, it paid the 75000 the third seventy five thousand to Reynolds, and then it paid eighty thousand in fees, and then it paid forty seven thousand for the three public appearances. Mm. It is bananas what's going on mm. it's just it's it's unbelievable you know, and then the attitude it's over a golden the circle days, isn't it it's absolutely the golden circle, and the workers. I mean, they misled the public, they misled mm. the, their, their own workers, they misled the Oireachtas. Mm. Um, you could hear, I mean, the, was it the Wednesday there was upwards of 200 of the workers and you heard stories about regional reporters not having a cameraman and their offices being, mm. you know, shut down or what have you. You have the, the bogus, that's another thing. All this was going on, mm. right, there was while there was bogus self-employment going on with RTE, they had to pay revenue 1.2 million back because there was 100 workers mm. that were, their contracts were, you know, saying they were self-employed, okay. bogus self-employment, denied all their rights as workers. Um, and they had to fight tooth and nail for that. RTE are being investigated by the Department of Social Protection. They had to pay that 1.2 million back to revenue. Which, so... Ordinary workers had to fight tooth and nail, and yet if you're at the top, mm. no ask was turned down. Yeah, pulling you strokes, know. nobody asks, yeah, nobody yeah, looks the yeah, other way, all yeah. that stuff. I, I meant yeah. to ask you um, about um, those consultancy fees or um, whatever. Uh, that's the point, I suppose, of the question, um, that Noel Kelly was paid consultancy fees, but he wasn't. They just put it down as consultancy fees. Uh, and... Um, 
What's his name? Richard Collins, uh, the chief financial officer, uh, didn't question that. Uh, this was no. um, D Forbes, he said, put it down as consultancy. What was he given that money for? This is the 80,000, is it? Yeah. Yeah. It went, when I asked about that, it went to a company in England. I can't think of the name of the company now, but that company then paid him back. Nobody knows what they were for. Nobody knows, but he seemed, he appears, Brian Turbity's agent seems to appear to have huge control in calling the shots with an RTE for whatever reason. We asked first, and many others were on his books, if you like, of the top stars, and the first answer was maybe four or five, mm. and then they said maybe 10 or 11. Yeah. So we're looking for all of that information. information. We've requested correspondence, contracts, side letters, and accounts and the top 100 salaries there to be published, but we've requested all of that information. And I, I would say we're just, you know, we're in the tip of the iceberg here. Mm. So he was given €80,000. Yeah. And nobody knows why. Nobody knows why. It was covered up by uh, a note that said it was for consultancy fees. Uh, everybody agrees. Uh, am I right in saying everybody agrees it wasn't for consultancy, but nobody knows what it was for? Nobody knows what it's for, and Ryan Turbody's top-ups were put up, put through as consultancy fees as well. Mm. And the, the, the commercial director actually knew that the invoices were for Ryan Turbody, even though his name wasn't on it. And she didn't stop and question. She put them through as consultancy fees. Mm. And yesterday she was trying to say, oh, my office put them through. You know, so there was 150000 processed through the barter account as consultancy fees, known full well that was the t- they were the top-up payment for Ryan Tabberty, and they had no problem concealing those payments. Mm. The Cabinet is to meet today, and external review is to be agreed in the terms of it and so on, or at least it's expected that they might meet today. Um, they'll certainly meet soon, and an inquiry will be held into all of this. Mm. What's going to happen? Is anything going to happen anytime soon? Well... I was talking to the minister the other day and she said, look, I know she said six months. She said, I'm trying, going to try and get it done far sooner. I, and I said, look, there's an urgency about this. This has to be rooted out mm. completely. It just ha- And it can't drag on because once it drags on, it kind of goes into the wilderness then, you know. And yeah. So there has to be that sense of urgency. It has to be robust mm. and it has to be thorough. Yeah. Because otherwise, this, I mean, this, like if you've heard of kind of this sort of carry on in state bodies for years, no accountability, no oversight, nobody. Remind you of the banks. What, but, yeah, yeah. But, mm. I mean, and it's, it's the elitist thing. Um, yeah, I mean. Uh, I mean, there's far too many well-heeled people in RCA, in my opinion. Uh, it's not a place uh, that working class people work. No, no, but uh, Shunni Rahali, the, the new chair of the board, not the executive board, uh, she actually um, said yesterday in her statement, I can't remember the exact wo- words, but she said the word talent, which is um, often referred to, you know, the way they say yeah. the top stars are their talent, mm. but that, sh- that should be a, a, a term um, bin, that's binned because it, it kind of implies that there's talent and everybody else doesn't matter below those. Mm. Elite, elite few at the top, you know, and that's very, very true because you'd often, you often hear RTE talk when they're justifying the 
exorbitant payments, they talk about the talent and you often say to yourself, talent, for the want of a better word, like, you know. Mm. Um, and she also said on the Wednesday about, they're talking about the, the top-up payments and that. She said, um, and the salaries and the fact, let's not forget the other big thing here that kind of got lost in the, the whole two days of intensive hearings. RTE top management published the salary figures for the top 10 earners and in one case they knew those figures were incorrect. They knew that he had got more, that they had facilitated a separate commercial deal to facilitate those and they under they they were prepared to underwrite that deal so the taxpayer paid for everything. I mean that's another thing. Why is RTE underwriting separate commercial deals for people at the top? you know, and using taxpayers' money to to pay for it. It's sickening for people. We have to leave there. Our time has run out, uh, but uh, we'll hear much more uh, about this uh, throughout the programme. Indeed, uh, we'll hear some of uh, the interaction between yourself and uh, the chief financial officer later in the programme. Uh, sometimes uncomfortable to listen to, but oh. thank, <laughs> thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Thanks. That's uh, Sinn Féin TD for Loud and East Mead, Melda Munster, who's a member of the Public Accounts Committee and also the Rochester's Committee on Media. Michael Michael Reed on on LMFM. Now uh, to the other crisis, the emergency uh, that uh, we've been facing in this country for well over a decade at uh, this stage, and that is homelessness. Uh, The latest homeless figures will be published later today. It's expected to be the worst in history. Focus Ireland, as you've been hearing, is saying uh, this morning uh, that they've had uh, the busiest month ever. Uh, Earlier in the week uh, the Simon community was saying that a quarter of emergency beds in this country for homeless people are occupied by people who have jobs. That's cleaners, security staff, taxi drivers, van and lorry drivers, scaffolders, electricians, construction workers, healthcare assistants, carers, shoppers, the list goes on. Uh, People who are working and working hard uh, and have nowhere to call home and are living in uh, homeless shelters. Let's speak uh, to Father Peter McVerry, Jesuit, Jesuit priest and homeless campaigner. Good morning, Peter. As always, thanks uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. I, I take it you're not expecting any reduction, quite the opposite today. No, it's, 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 very, uh, it's, very, it's more than disappointing. It's actually quite depressing. And what is even more depressing is that I, as I look into the future, I see absolutely no reason to think that these numbers are going to come down. In fact, if they continue going up at this rate, uh, by the time the next election comes around, we could have 16 or 17,000 homeless people in this country. Uh, and that's really frightening. And as the Simon report pointed out, uh, a third of all those beds are occupied by people who are working. Mm. And that's extraordinarily difficult. I mean, trying to get up at 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock in the morning to go to work, hostels at night, hostels come alive at night. People are coming back from the day, during the day. They're watching television in their room. You may be sharing a room with people who are talking all night to one another or watching television or even using drugs in the middle of the night in front of you. <clears throat> you have to get up at uh, 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning. Uh, trying to go to bed at 9 or 10 o'clock at night is impossible uh, because there's too much activity going on in the hostel. 
So it is always very, very difficult to hold a job mm. while staying in a, in a, in a homeless hospital. Mm. Um, you must be scratching. I think everybody's been scratching their head uh, at what's happening at RTE and all that, that news yesterday about the slush fund and uh, the thousands of euro that were spent on hospitality, 26,000 euro to go to Tokyo. Uh, how does that sit with you, given the situation that so many people are in? Because we're talking probably today at... Uh, 12, 13, 14,000 people who are homeless? Uh, well, it's, uh, it doesn't sit well, obviously. Uh, money isn't the, only, isn't the only solution to this problem of homelessness. Homelessness is only the most visible and uh, extreme consequence of a dysfunctional housing system. So we've got to get to grips with the, with the housing system Um uh, some of my proposals would be, you know, order 7,000 modular units. <clears throat> modular units can be built in, in three months and installed within another week. Uh, if we can get the planning and bureaucratic uh, requirements in place, we could have 7,000 uh, modular units in place by the end of the year. Uh, and that's for services and planning and all that goes... Yeah, there's, there's yeah. huge bureaucracy. I understand. I'm not privy to the ins and outs of it, but I understand there's huge difficulties. And we've come across difficulties ourselves in trying to provide uh, housing for, for people. We might uh, uh, we might have a contract with a contractor, agreed price. This has to go to the Department of Housing to, uh, to get a... It can take a long time, months back. At that stage, because of construction inflation, the, 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 uh, the, the company doing the construction says, look, we can't do it for this price anymore. Mm. So we have to go back to the start, do it all over again. So there seems to be, uh, you know, huge difficulties yeah. in the planning and the bureau- bureaucratic. Uh, but, but even at that, we're not starting from scratch. This isn't a new problem, in other words. No, this is going on for the last 15 years. I remember about, well, not that long ago, was it about maybe nine years ago, I uh, gave a talk. Minister for Housing was present at the talk, and I said, you know, we have a tsunami of homelessness coming down the road, and the figure I gave was 5,000, and I was ridiculed. And now here we are, almost 13,000 probably when the figures come out this uh, th- this month. Mm. Problem is just getting worse and worse and worse. Mm. And it's quite clear that they don't have any, they don't have any uh, mm. solution to this. And there was this Not trend. in the short term. We've got to go back to the ban on evictions. We've got to restore the ban on evictions with a proviso that landlords for whom that presents uh, serious difficulties could get an exemption. But we got to go back to that because the majority of people becoming homeless today are coming from the private rented sector. They're being evicted because the landlord says they're selling the house. Mm. Uh, and there's no problem with them as tenants. They're paying their rent and everything should absolutely. be fine. And in a, a normal functioning housing market, uh, it would be grand if they were evicted. They'd get a reference. They'd move on and move in somewhere mm-hmm. else. But there just isn't somewhere for them to go. That's the problem. We've... Uh, uh, there, there's there's no other private rented accommodation uh, available because there's so few uh, rental accommodation available, and there is so little social and affordable housing <laughs> to move into, and so they fall between the cracks. They can't afford to buy a house. 
there's nowhere else they can move into, and so they end up being being homeless. Mm. We've never really addressed this this issue properly. Mm. Yeah, well, uh, it's certainly uh, something that uh, a lot of us feel very uh, ashamed of. Uh, but you're suggesting that. There's no end in sight that we're going to go from the current figure of just over 12,000. That'll increase today and that uh, before we know it, uh, it'll get to 15,000. There was a scramble to stop it reaching 10,000 to the extent that there was a a massaging of figures that when it had exceeded uh, 10,000 people who were out of uh, home, uh, it, it appeared as though that wasn't the case. Uh, because people do care from time to time, but it's like a lot of things. Uh, as it goes on and it goes on, we become uh, immune to bad news, don't we? That's right. It just becomes normalised. Uh, and the figure of almost 13,000 this month uh, when it comes out, that's not even the full figure. It doesn't account, it doesn't count people sleeping rough. It doesn't count 5,000 people in asylum, asylum seekers who have been given permission to stay in Ireland but are stuck in direct provision because they can't find anywhere to, uh, to live. Mm. And if they're told to leave uh, direct provision, they're going to add to the, to, the, to the homeless crisis. It doesn't include people who are sofa surfing. And <clears throat> we know from the, from the, the, the Residential Tenancies Board that uh, you know, there's about 9,000 eviction notices uh, pending. Mm. So it's, uh, it's a crisis that's just going to escalate mm. over the rest of this year. Okay, when you say pending, what does that mean in the next three months? Six months. Well, it depends how long a tenant has been there. Uh, depending on how long yeah. you've been a tenant, uh, the landlord has to give you maybe three months' notice or six months' notice, mm. uh, and, and so mm. it will take during the rest of this year for the full effects of the ending of the ban on evictions okay. to, uh, to, to so take. So possibly to another nine thousand people evicted, uh, but obviously at the same time people will be finding other places uh, to stay. But uh, it's not just numbers; it's people. It's people who are out of homes. Uh, and that is a huge problem. But there's all the associated problems that, uh, and there's many of them from uh, me- uh, mental health uh, to crime uh, <clears throat> and children being lost uh, to uh, a-, a future that they're being denied. Yeah, the effect on children has been well documented, principally by Focus Ireland. Uh, you know, it's damaging to them. It's damaging emotionally. It's damaging. Children need security and they need routines. And they don't have that when they're homeless. It's damaging them emotionally. It's damaging them psychologically. And it's damaging them educationally because those children can't go to school and concentrate and focus and come back and do their homework. They're too stressed out. Uh, So it is very damaging. It's damaging Mm. for adults. I mean, you end up... First thing that goes when you become homeless is your (laughs) self-esteem. And you end up in a state of depression. Uh, and, and that can lead to serious mental health problems and it can lead to addiction. I know people who first first use of drugs was when they became homeless and were, were in homeless hospitals because when you're depressed mm. uh, and fed up and you see no future, they are the conditions that are mm. ripe for, uh, mm. for drug misuse. You can understand that, yeah. Dreadful. Um, We'll uh, hear uh, the figures later on uh, and uh, I'm sure all of us will be keeping in mind that there are people behind all of those figures. Peter, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you indeed for taking the time to speak to us today. That's uh, Father Peter McVerry, Jesuit priest and homeless campaigner. 
Thanks, Margaret, uh, for your WhatsApp message. She says, uh, the frustration in Melda Munster's voice speaks volumes and uh, reiterates what a nation feels. RTE is a disgraceful organisation and regarding Ryan Tuberty's agent who instructed him to look for more money, question mark. I'm a bit innocent when it comes to those issues, says Margaret. I'm a bit innocent myself, Margaret, when it comes to those issues. Uh, another WhatsApp message from Sean in Dublin 9 who says uh, the CFO, that's the Chief Financial Officer of RTE, was the star of uh, the Public Accounts Committee hearing yesterday. Best TV watching for years. What a performance. Uh, the CFO should get an Oscar. Al Pacino, watch out, says Sean. Well, let's hear from the CFO. That's Richard Collins speaking here to Imelda Munster. Consultancy invoices relating to services provided during COVID. Services, sorry, services. Noel Kelly. That Noel Kelly had provided services. Right. And you asked what were those services? Uh, I did. And what did she level. say? The services were in relation to how we restructured during... Um, what? How we restructured, how RTE restructured its operations. Noel Kelly? Yes, to help with... Was uh, given RTE in advice? In, yes, he was. In what capacity? Yeah. He was giving advice to Orti in in, um, in terms of how we dealt with sponsors. How, we, uh, to be honest, I got a high level. A bit, you're a bit yeah. Okay. Look, a bit I, yeah. To be honest, I got a high level um, response from the director general. Deloitte weren't happy with the response right. I was no, given. No, I, I can't. I, I won't go there because yeah. Noel Kelly was advising RTE he was advi- on he was how you deal with he, yeah. agents during COVID. Yeah, during COVID. And he, he was, was pro- getting 75,000 yes. of a fee for that. So what advice did he give? I don't know exactly oh, what right. advice you, he so gave. So you didn't ask... No, right. I did oh, ask... Hold, hold on, sorry. No, yeah, sorry, just if you let not, me just not finish yourself. there. It's myself that is confused. No, it's myself that's confused. So you have... You're the chief finance officer. There's 75,000 euro, um, or two payments of 75,000. Deloitte flagged it up with you that there was concerns about it. You spoke to the director general. She said, oh, it's in relation to Noel Kelly giving advice about agents during COVID. And we'll hear about the detail of what exactly that entailed. And you thought, okay, that's worth 150,000. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't think that so was worth one hundred fifty thousand at the time. What did you learn from that hundred and fifties worth that you thought? Can't remember exactly what. Oh, what, it must have wasn't value for money it. then, if you can't remember it. Well, I can't. I can't remember. I'm not going to speculate on what that was. I can come back to you. I probably have notes. And how did you relay that to I related, Deloitte? I relayed it back to Deloitte, and the expert email or no verbal. Verbal, right? And the response that I gave to Deloitte. They weren't happy with. I they would followed say so. up. <laughs> Sorry. I would imagine so. Yeah. Um, so that was. So you're saying at that stage, at the beginning of March, you knew nothing about that these were top-up payments. You knew Noel Kelly was involved some way, but you didn't question it enough. You took the the story that the director general told you that there were consultancy fees to Noel Kelly because he was given RTE advice on how to manage agents during COVID. I'm right. Yes. Well, not agents. Not agents. What was it then? It wasn't agents. I can't remember exactly. Oh, come on. 150,000 you gave the nod for. 
And you I can't didn't give remember. the nod. No, sorry, let me clarify that. I never gave the nod but for But you this. didn't ask finance questions as finance officer. You didn't ask questions about value for money, oversight. What's this hundred... If, there weren't, if it wasn't about agents, what was it about? It was to do with how RT was structured during COVID. Right, just give one sentence about what that entails. That the executive it, it, board didn't have the knowledge of or didn't no. have the expertise about... Just it was advice that the Director General had received on how RT structured itself and presented itself during COVID. Now, I can't say any more than that because I, I'd have to consult my notes and see exactly what explanation was given. But I relayed back exactly what I was told to Deloitte's. And, then and at that stage, I wasn't involved in improving the transaction at that stage, the transaction had happened. I was yes. relaying back an explanation. But the auditors had flagged up a concern about the payments. It flagged up a concern. You raised it with the Director General. You didn't question her pretty much. You took it on board. Well, I took her but explanation. She said, yeah, yeah, you didn't. As Chief Financial Officer, you thought, that's grand. I'll get back. I'll tell Deloitte. That's the story was. And then it went from there. So that's what you're saying. That's what it was, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Would you say that's you're not effectively doing your job? Well, I think at that stage, she gave what appeared to be a plausible explanation. But you can't remember. Look, I we can't move remember on the exact details of Yeah, it. it's just yeah. so ridiculous. I'm yeah. going to move on. All um, right, and we'll move on ourselves. That's Sinn Féin's Imelda Munster in discussion with uh, RTE's Chief Financial, Financial Officer, Richard Collins. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, talks about uh, the impending layoff of 650 workers at Tara Mines are ongoing. Um, first of all, I want to say that I know yesterday was a really difficult day for all the staff at Tara Mines, another difficult day. Uh, and my first concern remains for the impacted staff and their families. This includes the 650 staff uh, employed directly by uh, the company in Navan, but also staff and companies impacted. Uh, which have contracts with, um, with Tara Mines, and there are many people uh, in that position. Both my department uh, and the Department of Social Protection and, and other relevant government agencies will support the company and the employees in any way we can, including through any income supports that are available through the Department of Social Protection. Right, that's the Minister for Enterprise, Simon Coveney, speaking in the Dáil yesterday. Let's speak uh, once again to John Regan, CIF2 sector organiser. A very good morning to you, John, and thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme today. Obviously, the Minister was referring to the bad day that Wednesday was, uh, and that was when Biden said the proposals you made from uh, the trade unions wouldn't be enough to stave off this execution, if you like, uh, going into care and maintenance and uh, the layoffs uh, that go with it. You went into talks again with the company yesterday. Was it uh, any better of a day? Uh, I suppose, look, there's more clarity around what they are saying about uh, care and maintenance and their plan, uh, obviously, uh, is way below what we would be expecting and indeed uh, it's below what uh, happened in 2001. So uh, we have a lot of work to do. Uh, we had, um, I suppose, a fair and frank exchange of views on what they see as a care and maintenance uh, employment uh, arrangements, as in uh, how many is required. Uh, they think they can do it in 40, uh, with 40 employees. But we pointed out to them yesterday that in 2001, uh, bearing in mind it was a lot smaller mine in 2001, 
uh, both in uh, size and in machinery requirements. Um, and uh, 21 years on, uh, we are seeing that the 140 that was required then uh, needs to be, um, you know, 40 has to be increased on and we have to agree manpower numbers and we're going back in there today to see can we bridge the gap there um, and do something uh, that addresses what is going to be um, care and maintenance. Right. Um, the losses are, what, around 100 million? Yeah, that's what they're, um, that was the figure that's been thrown out. Uh, we don't have um, any printout or breakdown of that figure. Um, and um, it's it's the figure though, that's been uh, thrown at us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and I take it that because it's such a huge amount of money uh, that there's concern now at this stage about how long people could be laid off for. Yeah, and that's the whole uh, difficulty with this, the uncertainty and the indefinite situation of how long we're going to be out, uh, added by the fact that we haven't got confirmation from the company that we are actually going to be returning on full terms and conditions of employment, which is another added uh, concern now. So, uh, And that everybody will get their job back as well, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Everything that um, everyone that leaves the mine will at least have the opportunity to go back into it. Uh, as we pointed out to them, there will be people that will end up in different situations, and perhaps they may not want to go back into the mine uh, whenever it opens. And that happened the last time as well. Are you sure that it will open? The minister said yesterday he's a hundred percent convinced that this is a temporary situation and it will open again. Would you echo that? I would, I'd I'd echo it, okay, to a point that um, this is unlike any other business. The product is in the ground. And uh, it's a bit like when uh, we had a a situation in King's Court where the factory uh, closed there some years ago and it reopened again. Uh, And we are, you know, confident that somebody, whether it's Belyden or somebody else, uh, and I've no reason to believe that there's somebody else in, in the equation, but you never know what happens when uh, uh, the, the mine goes into care and maintenance, what will uh, develop. It's very vitally important that we get an agreement that establishes our the method of callback of people uh, back into the mine whenever that happens, and indeed the protection of all terms and conditions of employment uh, that currently exist will be uh, no less favourable when we come back into it. Okay. Have you a meeting planned with uh, Simon Coveney? The minister said he's happy to meet with you uh, whenever you want that meeting to take place. Yeah, it's it's lined up for two thirty on Monday, and uh, we'll see where uh, what the government are saying. They are, you know, um, very sympathetic, but sympathetic, uh, you know. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some well less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs, no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mother's Day is around the corner. 
Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Retro is of no use to anybody that is working in the mind. They're going to have to come in uh, and support these workers in whatever way uh, we can. Mm. And indeed, uh, if, the, if, the, if the government really raised to the, could rise to the occasion, perhaps they could step in and prevent a care and maintenance happening. Right. But, perhaps, um, uh, perhaps not. Uh, and uh, I think uh, that's what the government is exploring now. Do you accept that it's concerned that if it was to do that, it could be in breach of state aid rules? Yeah, look, they'll always find probably a way to not want to, um, you know, step in in these situations. Uh, Such as European law, though, John, I mean, in fairness. Yeah, look, if if they, I'm not overly familiar with with, uh, that. Uh, I'm not going to try and uh, uh, mislead you or the the listeners. Uh, The reality is, uh, if that's the case, then, uh, you know, that is the case. but there is finances within the government and uh, things can be done to assist the workers. As we've said, um, unemployment, social welfare benefit is not going to uh, help these workers and uh, their families. So the government has to step in in whatever way, um, you know, more than what they are doing at the moment. Mm. Mortgage repayments, um Car repayments, Stan- uh, holidays, standard living, standard living Kid, items are kids very, going very going back big. to school. Um, yeah. yeah. What, what have workers been saying to you? Oh, look, there's fear and uh, huge anxiety and stress, uh, and there's anger as well. Mm. Um, to the point that you did ask me the question yesterday uh, as to what would happen um, come the 14th. Um, with the mine, there is no question or doubt about it. The workers uh, will occupy the mine if there isn't a deal done. Uh, And uh, there has to be a deal done. And we've said that to the company every time we've met with them. So they have to realise that they just uh, have to engage very, very meaningfully. And if that means bringing the parent company into it, then that's what they have to do. Uh, But monies have to be found um, both for the recommencement of operations uh, and the parent company will have to supply that. So they're going to have to supply it throughout care and maintenance and support the workers if they want workers to go back in there again. Mm. So all of that is part of the dialogue, part of the engagement that we will be uh, exploring through the WRC on Tuesday next. We commence that uh, in the in the WRC 
uh, Tuesday morning and we'll also be going to general meetings next week uh, of all our members across the mine. So, um, Just explain to me, John, if you wouldn't mind, um, what will be achieved uh, through a, a city and I understand uh, it will bring a lot of a, a attention to the plight of uh, the workers and we'll all be running down there, the media will all be running down there with microphones and cameras uh, and so on. Uh, but it, it won't make any difference to the situation that the workers find themselves in, uh, in that they'll continue to be laid off and, and it won't stop uh, works at Tara Mines because works will have stopped at Tara Mines. Yeah, the work, the operation will probably have ceased, but we, we won't be leaving the mine until we actually get an agreement. It's all about whether the company is going to prevent, because the ball is in their court. They have called um, care and maintenance. They have to do an agreement with us, as is uh, um, as what happened in 2001. Uh, the agreements were got and there was uh, engagement throughout the care and maintenance period that time. We expect the same to happen uh, this time and we will be, you know, uh, union representatives, officials and shop stewards will be available after the 14th of July. Uh, But equally, uh, our membership will most certainly want a deal done ahead of that but in the event that it doesn't, they will absolutely occupy the mine. Okay, uh, I'm going to um, let you go because I know you have to go into meetings with uh, the company. Before I do, can I ask you about the engagement thus far with uh, the company? We'll hear Simon Coveney in a a moment once again say he believes that it has been positive engagement. That's not been uh, how you've described it up to now. No, and, I, and I'm still not um, happy with the engagement. Um, there is a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, requests made uh, for different other people to come into with, with experts that the company has, and for some unknown reason, they're not using their senior management at the table, and uh, that is a very it's a huge vacuum and a huge problem uh, with regard to uh, doing the right thing. Uh, so the heads of sections are not part of it. Uh, and equally, what we've got uh, by way of a response to our 62 points, as I said yesterday, we're not happy with the replies that we've got. And we made that known to them yesterday. Um, you know, So it's not um, the positive uh, engagement that um, uh, some politicians are saying it is. It's mm-hmm. not happening. Mm-hmm. And indeed, the company would be of the view as well that they are in, uh, engaging positively. But uh, we wouldn't be going to the WRC if there was positive engagement. So we're exhausting procedures in that way. John, thank you uh, for giving us. I know how busy you are with all of this. And thanks uh, for taking the time to speak to us uh, to, again this morning. John Regan, SIP2 Sector Organiser. Uh, management underlined the constructive engagement uh, that they've had uh, with unions since the 15th of June, uh, who tabled very helpful proposals for cost-saving measures uh, to, the, um, uh, to be introduced to address some of the operational challenges that have been there. Uh, I'm also aware that this dialogue uh, uh, will continue, and I want to support that. And can I just say uh, um, that, that I'm, I'm more than happy to meet uh, the um, union leadership again in the next couple of days, uh, as soon as tomorrow, I hope, uh, if, if that's what they'd like to do. And we will continue to, to engage with, with management there. 
that's Minister Simon Coveney in the Dáil yesterday. As we heard, uh, the Minister will meet with uh, SIP2 on Monday at half past two. And as we heard from John Regan a couple of moments ago, SIP2 put 62 proposals forward to Belighton. I don't believe that the, that the management have rejected the proposals from, from, the, um, from the union leadership. But what they've said to me is that it's not enough in terms of cost savings to be able to avoid moving into care and maintenance for now. Um, and, and of course, we need to then look at what's possible in terms of state aid, uh, in terms of supporting, uh, for example, f- uh, uh, the company to help compensate for the dramatic increase in energy costs that they've experienced over the last 12 months, just like we've done with other companies. Uh, and our, our state aid team are working on that at the moment. That's the Minister for Enterprise, Simon Coveney. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. An email to us uh, from Finian Connachton in Drumconrath reads, given the highly selective and well-orchestrated nature of information from our national broadcaster, it seems to me that there is a grave danger that the general public are being duped into missing a central point in this whole controversy. The top-up payments to Ryan Tuberty are a minor issue in comparison with the scandalously outrageous salaries of all RTE top presenters. As an organisation that is funded by ordinary taxpayers, one would expect that the views and opinions of fee-paying licence holders would be a consideration at all times over the years. It has seemed to me that complaints about various issues, including exorbitant salaries, were completely ignored. But in the past few days, an attitude has been displayed that is bordering on contempt. I refer in particular to the manner in which top presenters were knocking each other over in an attempt to distance themselves from this controversy, the casual manner in which they paraded in public their annual outrageous salaries was just appalling, given the fact that a mile down the road people are sleeping in doorways, not to mention the thousands of families who are struggling to keep house and home together in these financially difficult times. The aim of the exercise would seem to be to show how transparent and upright they all are and thereby hold on to their audiences rather than parading their fortunes as they did. I would suggest that their approach should be apologetic and if they are serious about credibility that with immediate effect they would be considering a reduction of at least 50% in salary, which in some way would align them with workers in similar positions in comparable companies and organisations throughout the country. As I say, that's an email that came from Finian Connachton in Drum Conrad. Thank you very much indeed, Finian, uh, for that. Bernie on the phone to us today asking how anyone can be expected to pay the TV licence now. She says she's lost for words at what she heard yesterday. You couldn't make some of it up if you tried. How were they allowed to get away with what they were doing for so long? Why did no one sound the alarm? Annie on the phone too saying... uh, She couldn't get over the arrogance displayed by some of the RTE staff when they became in front and when they became before the committee. They were deliberately flippant and vague at times, and in Annie's mind, uh, they weren't taking the proceedings seriously at all. The carry-on in the state broadcaster was mind-blowing. Expense accounts, concert trips, company cars, slap-up meals, all on the taxpayer's dime, as she puts it. Disgusting stuff altogether. Dave says, barter account me arse. Call it what it is, a slush fund for the well-off and well-connected. Can RTE now kindly name the beneficiaries of these World Cup tickets and trips? Dave says he doubts there are many ordinary Joe's soaps who went to 
those occasions who got to go on those trips. The figures being bandied about were eye-watering. It was disgusting to listen to. Anna says the amount of shock in the media being expressed over this is one of the more surprising aspects of the story for her. Spending taxpayers' money like confetti is basically ingrained in society. Historically, that is. Just look at our our banks, the FAI, the HSE, and now RTE. So it's something that we should have expected. Nobody has ever been prosecuted for robbing the Irish taxpayer blind, no matter what the cause was. We had a finance minister who didn't have a bank account. And now we have a financial director in RTE who doesn't know what a salary is. As usual, this will be frowned upon temporarily. And then there'll be huge levels of outrage. But ultimately, it'll all be brushed under the carpet. It's farcical stuff, she says. Thank you as well. Brian on the phone as well. He's just one question, he says, about the whole RTE debacle. When are the guards going to be called in? Surely the misappropriation and staggering misuse of taxpayers' money constitutes uh, something worthy of an investigation. Uh, Brian says, people are going to have to be held accountable for this. Lisa says, the information that has come out about RTE this week is nothing short of criminal. To spend taxpayers' money in such a manner is outrageous. These people should be held to account and not be allowed to ride off into the sunset on huge pensions. Uh, every day, we are hearing stories about men and women getting jail sentences for stealing groceries from Lidl or Aldi to feed their families while these people have essentially stolen from every single Irish person with no repercussions whatsoever. Thank you as well, Lisa, uh, for uh, your comment uh, to the programme. Thanks. Uh, we've a lot of people in touch with us. I'll come back to some more of uh, the comments in just a second. Uh, but I want to go back uh, to that comment from Brian about the Gardaí being called in because uh, Richard Collins uh, was uh, in front of the committee yesterday and he surprised um, people yesterday by saying that uh, the top-ups to Ryan Tuberty um, were deceitful, uh, that it was a, a way of keeping the public in the dark, maybe of uh, defrauding uh, the licence fee payer. Uh, uh, let's hear uh, more about that uh, because uh, there were interesting questions uh, put to the Chief Financial Officer, this is Richard Collins, uh, about what he had said earlier by Sinn Féin TD, John Brady. Mr Collins, I, I, I want to go back to a, a statement you made earlier on in, in relation to uh, the agreement that was in place with Mr Tuberty. You spoke about the concealment, the deception. You also made a, a statement that you described it as a taxpayer was defrauded. You asked me my opinion was there a fraud. Oh, oh okay. You, you, you stated there was taxpayer defrauded. So that, well, that, I said that's in my a very opinion, serious, you could look okay. at it that way. In, in, yeah. in your opinion. Yeah. So uh, have you spoken to the Gardaí? Have you made a, a statement in relation to that? No, I haven't. Do you intend on making a statement to the Gardaí? Defrauding is a serious offence and is unlawful. And that's a, a, a statement that you made. So on that basis, will you be speaking to the Gardaí? Look, I'd have to take advice on that. Well, I, 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 I think you should, because you made a, a very bold statement there. All right, uh, John Brady speaking uh, to Richard Collins. Uh, maybe that answers your question, Brian. 
or uh, um, it's maybe an interim question. Uh, when Mr. Collins takes advice on it, maybe he will go to the Gardaí. Maybe he won't. Mary called in to congratulate Amanda Munster on how she's tackled the RT scandal on behalf of the Irish people this week. She's played an absolute blinder and has been the voice of Irish people who have been shocked and disgusted by what they were hearing. Her anger and frustration was fantastic to see and a true representation of public opinion. Benny asks, when are the Gardaí stroke revenue uh, going to be called in? What happened in RTE is 100% misuse and abuse of public money by people appointed in certain positions by government to do a job. A chief financial officer of the National Broadcaster telling TDs that he's not sure what his salary is. Come on, Benny, says... Just how stupid do management at RTE think we are? Um, thank you indeed uh, for that, Benny. Uh, a lot of people, as I say, in touch. Let me get you some of uh, the WhatsApp messages uh, coming to us. Uh, John Conlon says RTE might be able to help out the Tara Mines workers. Yeah, it kind of puts things in perspective. A very long uh, WhatsApp message um, from Raymond Lamb, who says, I, I don't know where to start. I, I watched the Public Accounts Committee grilling the RTE executives yesterday, and it came as no surprise that every one of them just turned up there yesterday, uh, had their stories well rehearsed to give nothing away, blame someone else, and basically rub our noses in it but like a lot of other stuff over the years numerous tribunals with no accountability at all there is a culture in these organisations that they just can do whatever they want and absolutely no accountability whatsoever ordinary people who struggle on a day-to-day basis just to keep their heads above water are being let down by people who are there to serve them. I really feel sorry for the countless families across the country who struggle on a daily basis to maybe have to decide if they're going to feed their family or heat the house or can they afford to go to the dentist or to the doctor. Decisions that they face every single day and at the top of these organisations they behave like they just live on a different planet to the so-called ordinary people. Change is needed in this country. Real leaders that people look up to, respect and above all trust uh, says uh, Raymond uh, many thanks uh, for that um, we'd Frank in at Boy in touch with us uh, saying it doesn't say much for Tara Mines management if uh, the unions can find 75 millions in savings and management couldn't thanks uh, for that Frank uh, obviously a well informed comment uh, not sure uh, I've heard that figure before um, uh, but thank you indeed uh, for that. Uh, on the subject of losing jobs, somebody wants to know, is anybody in RTE going to lose their jobs? <laughs> thank you uh, for that. Well, watch that space, I think. Um, Baz says, if it was a business, it would have been clo- closed long ago. Get rid of it. We don't need it. Uh, thanks uh, for that, Baz. Uh, maybe we'll hear uh, something uh, about how businesses uh, operate uh, and um, the difference between RTE and uh, how they look on invoices uh, a little bit later on in the programme. There was some interesting interaction on that uh, yesterday. We've, we could actually play clips from the Public Accounts Committee all day uh, for four hours, in fact, because the whole thing was well worth listening to. It was intriguing stuff. Um, we to Margaret in touch saying, when taxpayers' money is handed over to any organisation in this country, there should be more oversight and accountability by the government to hand the money over to them. They get our money 
way too handy and it's easy for them to misuse it. Why are these things still being allowed to happen? It's galling to hear that RTE had a slush fund to pay for some elite to go to games. It's made easier for this to happen when the taxpayer is always put on the hook by the government to bail out these incompetents. The top brass at RTE need to go. They're not fit for purpose. They've squandered our money paying obnoxious salaries to some and junkets for others. Nobody deserves that amount of money, especially in a country of our size. I'm sure there's plenty here who would work for 100,000 a year and be glad to get it. I take it that's an RTE. And if they can't live on that, then they don't know how to manage money. There's others expected to manage on 265.30 a week. Oh boy, what a difference, says Margaret. And thank you indeed for your message to the programme today, Margaret. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, what about uh, the war in Ukraine? I'm sure you have an opinion on that. I think most of us uh, agree it's just terrible Uh, I mean to talk in very simplistic terms uh, any war is terrible Uh, but it's possible as well that not everybody agrees with that it's quite probable in fact uh, that the energy companies will tell you that it's been a great war for their bottom line because the profits have been extraordinary this leads to the question of putting a windfall tax on those extraordinary profits that the energy companies are making. The government is promising such a tax. Sinn Féin says the delay in bringing forward a tax is unacceptable, or at least it would be under any normal circumstance, but absolutely shocking in the current context. Let's speak now to Darren O'Rourke, who is Sinn Féin's spokesperson on climate and the environment. And a very good morning to you, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme. You say that the government has been very weak on this issue. Yeah, and I I think um, just on on, on your opening comment there, like the truth of it is that um, energy companies, uh, particularly those, and we don't have a lot of them in Ireland that are producing um, fossil fuels, uh, gas in particular, and oil, um, they have just reaped uh, uh, an incredible bonanza. And actually, they've changed their business model where some of them were moving towards renewables and, and, and saw the, the direction of travel. In uh, in the wake of the, the war in Ukraine, they've gone the opposite direction. You know, and it's been really regressive and uh, predatory and the, the profits that they are making are, are absolutely eye-watering. And we have been calling on government and they've been allowed by the European Union for, for over two years at this stage, but we've been calling on government to implement a really strong windfall tax and to do it uh, um, uh, uh, as quickly as is possible. Now, government have resisted that for an extended period. I've spoken with you before in relation to this. Um, the then Finance Minister Pascal Donoghue said that it was a bad idea and that it would have a, a chilling effect on investment in renewables. Um, but we were making the case that, uh, like such are the the profits been made that it, it was obscene, offensive, and um, that that, it, that they had to be tackled. Now there is a a proposal, and we're dealing with the legislation eventually in the Dáil this mm. week. Um, which could lead to, to between 200 and 450 million euro for the government. Yeah, it, it could, and, and that will be welcome. Um, this is 
uh, not to overcomplicate it, but there are two elements to this. So, so it's been broken into two pieces of legislation, which is a frustration. Bear in mind that 18 European countries have already implemented this measure in full, whereas this government, now we have one piece of legislation, we're going to have to wait until the autumn for another piece of legislation. But this piece of legislation is dealing specifically with the primary producers. So in Ireland's case, it's Corrib Gas um, and it's a, a refinery in Cork, Whitegate Refinery. So they're the only two uh, uh, elements, like in other countries, did have Shell and BP and the, the, the big producers. So this has the potential to bring in 450 million euros mm. uh, at, the, at the high end, that's which will be welcome. But, yeah, it's a lot of money. But, yeah. yeah, but but we're saying, uh, um, if you look at the design of this, um, what's called temporary solidarity contribution, that the government could go for. This is a number of measures that, that we think they, they should do. Um, for example, they should increase the, the, the level of this contribution. We, we think they're being overly generous because what they're doing is they're allowing the companies a 20% year-on-year profit. Um, so they're taking a baseline between 2018 and 2021 and allowing them 20% on top of that, which we think is generous. And then the, the contribution is only kicking in after that 20% uh, and that 75%. So, so you can see there, um, given the context of the super excess profits that, we, that were being uh, generated, that actually we're making the case in Sinn Féin, I think others in the opposition, that actually more than 75% should be should be taken. And, and we'll, we'll put forward amendments next week and, and see where they go with that. Mm-hmm. The other element the other element is um, there's lots of wriggle room for the companies uh, to get out of this. So to write off losses, to write off capital expenditure. And we believe, again, in the context of the super normal profits, that they shouldn't be allowed to do that. And then finally... The minister questioned that yesterday. Um, he, he told you that that won't happen. Well, well, well. He, he said that in, in one in, in one element in relation to some of the losses. But in terms, well, of he said that, that he said losses from before the first of January twenty eighteen and after the thirty first of December twenty twenty three. That's the end of this year. Cannot be deducted from the temporary solidarity contribution. Yeah, um, but but within the constraints of the of the tax act, that's the way it's prescribed in the legislation. So there's a long section in the in the legislation that that's very specific in terms of the criteria that will apply in relation to those those losses. We're saying that none, full stop, that there shouldn't be a there shouldn't be provision in it. And the other element is then in terms of capital write off, and there's very significant wriggle room there. We think for for, for companies, and they will use as they're well lawyered up and resourced, uh, they will, of course, challenge this, but they will use absolutely every opportunity that they that they can to, to, to wriggle, out, wriggle out of this. And, and we think that... that th- but this is legislation. I mean, you can't wriggle out of the law. Uh, and it's a law that no, is no, going no, to result my, in... But uh, it's a law that... No, 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 no my, my, that's mm. my argument, Michael, yeah. that, that, that the law is, as it's currently configured, is providing them with the opportunity for that wriggle room. It's providing them with the opportunity. And we're saying it, sh- it shouldn't do that. That, okay. it, that it, should be, it should be very clear. It should be stronger. And the final piece, which is important, is... OK, but the Minister... 
have said otherwise, just to make that no, point. No, no, no. He he didn't say otherwise in relation to capital write-off. He said he said in relation to, to losses, um, and we will thrash that out at committee stage. But in relation to capital write-off, he didn't. And in fact, what he said was, we believe we've got the balance right here. If you if you listen back mm. to the exchange, he he talked about uh, security of supply. In other words, we're mm. afraid that if we go too hard on these companies, that they will push, um stop supplying us with with with, with gas and 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 uh, uh, and with with, uh, with, with But with that would be normal, wouldn't it? I mean, he says there's an allowable deduction for capital expenditure incurred between 2018 and 2023. That would be normal, anyway, wouldn't it? It, it, it would be normal, but we're we're not in normal circumstances, and that's that's the argument we're we're mm. making here in relation. To, it's, it's that period of 2022 and 2023 where they were, and, and that's the period I'm interested in because I, I take the point in terms of 2018 and 2021, um, and and I, I do recognise that this is a retrospective element that's specifically not called a tax because. Mm because of the potential of, of, of challenge in relation to it. But from my perspective, we go through it line by line and say, where is the opportunity here for mm. the government to go further, to be tighter in terms of what they're allowing? Bearing in mind... That, that could very easily be argued to be unfair, though, if you were to do that, because uh, companies would have made investments uh, and committed monies on the basis uh, that uh, it was tax-deductible. But we're providing a 20% allowance for them, Michael, in terms of, of, of incre- increased reve- in revenues. And that's been applied, a, and it's indicative that it's going to be applied in terms of the... the yeah, but you're changing revenue. the law in terms of what is and what is not tax-deductible du- retrospectively. That doesn't seem fair. Yeah, b- b- well, well, in, in terms of, of how this... How this solidarity contribution will be applied and how it will be how it will be accessible and what will what can be written off against it we are what we are saying i believe uh, that the state should recognize that these profits are super normal profits they're extraordinary profits and they shouldn't be considered in the same way instead in the same way as, as other profits instead they should be seen as mm. a, a product of war in europe um at a time when there's a cost of living crisis, and actually they should be treated in a different way. Mm. Um, and, 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 and I think, you know, um, and looking at what, what has been done in, in other European countries, that there is scope to do that. The other, the other important point, Michael, in relation to this, and which is a weakness of, of this legislation from government, they haven't spelled out, um, uh, one, the reporting mechanism, to the uh, and to the the um, the way this money is going to be spent, and finally, three in terms of the the uh, the anti avoidance pieces, we think there's there's scope for 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 strengthening this legislation. Mm-hmm. And the really important thing for mm-hmm. us is that that this money be drawn drawn down. This up to four hundred and fifty million that's going to be drawn down in. Uh, uh, later this year mm. and later next year, but it, it, it gets into the pockets of people as quickly as Yeah, well, let, let's talk about that and how the money is going to be spent uh, because that's a very important point. Uh, the government estimates uh, it will yield somewhere between 200 and 450 million euro, an awful lot of money, and the minister said yesterday that if the government had taken Sinn Féin's approach, you say the government has dragged its feet on this uh, because other European countries have already introduced windfall taxes, but if Ireland had done it in the manner that those countries had done it, that the government wouldn't be able to put it back into the pockets of people. The approach they're taking now means that they will be able to give it back to people. What do you say to that? I think it's nonsense. I think it's a nonsense point. 
Uh, absolutely ridiculous because what have Sinn Féin been arguing and bear in mind we live in a country you've you know uh, uh, this morning been discussing the impact of the high cost of energy on business and county Mead and specifically we heard from union representatives uh, from the company themselves saying that we're a complete outlier here and that has a significant impact on on business uh, at Tara Mines, the cost of energy, the cost of electricity. It absolutely has a huge impact on um, workers and families right across this country. We're 48% higher than the European average in relation to uh, energy costs here. What's, what Sinn Féin had said is tackle the energy companies. Go in at them as, as strongly as you can within the confines of of keeping the system afloat. Do that in two ways. A windfall tax, tax their super excess profits and regulate the price. So introduce a, a, a cap on prices for a, a temporary period. That's a, a major intervention in the market. But we believe in a completely, at a time of cost of living crisis and a completely dysfunctional market, that that's exactly the type of intervention that was needed. So those two mechanisms, and they have to come together uh, you know, because there's risks in relation to introducing a cap without in- introducing a windfall tax, the, the companies could run away with it. Don't allow them to do that. Introduce a windfall tax. We have been calling for that uh, for at least 18 months at this stage. It's been provided for and allowed at a European level since October 2021. And we're now into practically July 2023. And we don't have that measure introduced. And workers, families and businesses haven't seen the benefit of it. And at the same time, have to live with the practically the most expensive electricity and energy costs in, in Europe's in Europe and uh, at a time when wholesale prices uh, have significantly reduced and that hasn't been passed on to customers. So from my perspective, energy companies are given the government the absolute runaround and uh, and government aren't intervening in relation. And I think that has real practical implications for, for workers in Tara Mines for a start um, and, and for the rest of us as well. Okay, we have to leave it there, but thank you, as always, for joining us uh, this morning. Darren O'Rourke is Sinn Féin's spokesperson on climate and the environment and a TD for Meath East. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. So, Noel Kelly is uh, someone we all know of uh, now. Uh, apparently, uh, runs RTE and calls the shots and was given €80,000 uh, as a consultant, a consultant uh, who charged €80,000 in consultation fees to advise RTE, it seems, on how to deal with agents. Um, but what that means, or what the money was for, nobody knows, but the chief financial officer was told it's consultancy fees. Uh, we'll uh, go back to the Public Accounts Committee and hear a little bit more about that. If you have someone who's acting as a consultant, aren't they obliged to charge VAT on the fees they charge? It depends where the, the invoice is. Uh, no, no, but the standard to... invoice would yeah. have a VAT component. Am I correct? Standard standard invoice would have a VAT. Yeah, and when you got the invoice into your accounts department, how come that issue wasn't, for the clarification, wasn't looked for in that? Because the invoice was being invoiced to a UK company, not an Irish company. And what's the scenario in relation to a, a VAT in that, in that there's scenario? No, there's no VAT charged. But were you aware of the, in the, the detail of the invoice because it was consultancy fees? Surely it would set out in any invoice. And I've been involved in business for 30 years. Your uh, qualified financial advisor here um, 
surely just consultancy fees is not sufficient description on an invoice. Would you accept? I'd say it, it, it's, it's, a, it's quite a, a sparse description on a, an invoice. But isn't it not that. a duty on your part then to raise a query as regards what that, those consultancy fees were for? I think, yes, in hindsight it is, but at the time... But okay, this, let's this, go on and invoice, how many more invoices yeah. like this okay. came through where there were consultancy fees no, there was marked two, down? There was two consultancy fees. But have we looked at other accounts? Have we looked at other accounts about where the description consultancy fees and it went through the system without anyone asking, raising questions? We haven't done a detailed analysis. Well, isn't the time to do a detailed analysis? I, I think it is, and that was discussed yesterday, and I believe the ARC are going to look at that. And every other business in this country, invoices, they're uh, robustly checked by any organisation, and especially a large organisation does more, um, more of an onus because it's a public service broadcaster to cross-check everything that comes in. Yeah, I think if I can just explain what happened here. The barter... Account sat outside the normal system of yeah, control. It's a slush fund because yeah. if you look at the definition of a slush fund, and I got it from Black's Law Dictionary, a reserve of money held secretly by a company that had no accountability for its use. That's exactly what we're talking about. This is a slush fund. So let's stop talking about it being a barter account. Okay. We had very little accountability about the money going into it. There was. But like, had it sat within the internal control system, you know, for expenditure of 75,000, it would have probably been... But you're in charge of the internal control system. Stored. I mean, you, you know, this is money going from RTE to a barter account where you don't even know what the money is for. Am I correct? I, the, the invoice was labelled consultancy services. It was approved by the director. But you're the financial director. You have the opportunity of raising queries. I'm asking you, okay, you didn't raise a query on, any, on this. Have you raised queries on other invoices coming in over the last two to three years? I haven't seen other invoices coming in with um, consultancy services, just labelled consultancy but services. But isn't that so no reason for then asking the question if you haven't? Yeah, it is the reason now why we should go back and look at this. And, you know, when you, when you um, became aware of the information or whether the query was raised by, your, by the auditors, and they obviously were concerned, you still don't appear to have, been, have the same concern, even after the explanation from the then Director General. Look, the, the explanation that was given to me, again, it wasn't a detailed explanation. I relayed that back to Deloitte. And then it was in their hands to move with it. And things moved very quickly after that. It wasn't as though... And did they, raise, did they raise queries in respect of any other item on the accounts at the time? On the accounts in general? Yes. No, no. So this was the only issue? This was the only issue they raised. And therefore, wasn't it an obligation on you to make sure that the issue that raised was fully investigated? And that's uh, Fine Gael's Colin Burke putting those questions once again to the Chief Financial Officer, Richard Collins. It's accountancy, Jim, but not as we know it. Not as we know it, Jim. Michael, what Ryan Tuberty did was wrong. The people who paid it were worse, but he also betrayed his colleagues, which is a kick in the arse for them, says a texter. Uh, Another text uh, from Molly who says, when you see D Forbes getting a private jet from Terminal 1 to Terminal 2, it makes you wonder what kind of people are running RTE. That's the first I heard of that. Is, is that well known? I never heard of that. Did, did that happen? 
<laughs> I don't know anything about that. Uh, I'm very interested, Molly. Uh, greed using our taxpayers' money is rampant in Ireland and we just give out, but we don't do anything. I can't wait for the TV licence man to come to my do- door. Will he dare, says Molly. Um, some people uh, saying some similar things. Michael, for example, uh, who's WhatsApp is uh, saying people should boycott boycott the TV licence and see how fast they'll be faced with fines. Why should RTE be allowed to get away with fraud of taxpayers' money? Thank you, Michael, uh, for that. Um, And indeed, uh, that was what the Chief Financial Officer said yesterday, that he thought RTE was defrauding the licence fee player. Etc. Can we get a full list of all talent agents that have done contracts with RTE. Um, Do any of these talent agents have any shares or ownership of any shows that have been contracted by RTE? Provide a full audited list uh, of all of that. Uh, In relation to the barter accounts, and you've listed out some of the issues in relation to tickets, um, uh, etc., Champions League finals, rugby, I note that the former head of RTE News and Current Affairs was at the Champions League final in 2019. Um, it's up publicly, that's the only reason I can say it. Um, but uh, can we get a full list of all payments, all tickets, and where they were divulged to? Um, now, I want to get into some core questions, and I'd appreciate short, sharp answers. I'm not trying to be rude, it's just I don't have much time. Um, I think I'm the only person in here in this committee who is former minister. And I want to say this to you, Chair, and I, I don't know you. But if you went to a meeting with me and didn't tell me what you didn't tell Minister Martin in relation to asking for the resignation of the Director General, you wouldn't be in the position now. I don't think any minister would put up with that, and I don't expect this minister to put up with it. That is information you have to tell Minister. I went through some of the most difficult things as a minister during my period, and that is something you would have to tell the Minister. I would like to ask the previous chair, would, in her opinion, would she have told the minister? Um. <clears throat> yes. I, okay, I, I, thank, I don't, thank, I, thank you. That's all I didn't want. I'd like to ask the, the department official who was here last week and neglected to tell any of us, by the way, of anything about this. Um, I want to know the following. Would you have expected that your minister would have been told in that meeting? Um, could I just say the, the minister, as the, as the chair said, there was a process ongoing, um, and that culminated in the suspension, and that's what she told. No, but she asked for her resignation, and she didn't tell her. So, would you have expected that she would have told her? I would have expected to tell her that there was a disciplinary process. Would, not that she'd um, asked for her resignation. Um, I would be conscious that there's a disciplinary process, and that she has to take legal advice on what she has to say. Okay. Can I ask Maybe you? we'll conclude today by uh, the way we start off singing. RTE, a robbery, do da. Well, if it's silly, uh, so what? Uh, there's a circus on in the national broadcaster. That was Alan Kelly, by the way, at the Public Accounts Committee yesterday. That's our programme for today. Maggie Maguire Research. Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie